Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the most disturbing loopholes in the laws in the state of Indiana in 1975 was that if you took driver's education in high school and you did well enough to get a waiver and you could pass the written test, you didn't have to take a road test to get your driver's license. Well, I was a high school student in Indiana in 1975, and so I got my license without having to take a road test. From that time on, every time I've moved to a new state, every time that I've had to renew my license, the current license I, I had was, was just simply transferred to the new license. So I'm 61 years old. I've had a driver's license since I was 16 years, one month, and one day. And I've never in my life had to endure the humiliation and the stress and, and the, the pressure of riding around in a vehicle with a representative from the DMV examining everything that I did. I don't know if they still have that law in Indiana. It's probably a bad idea. But if you have ever ridden with me, maybe that little story explains something to you about my driving. I've been thinking about driving lately, and because when you, when you take the test, even if you take just the written test, one of the elements of, ev of every driving test are road signs. You have to be able to identify the road signs. You have to be able to, to know which signs are which and what they do and what they mean. And, uh, you know, you have to, as you're driving around with an instructor, you, you need to pay attention to the road signs. And I've been pondering road signs lately a lot. Because I think there is something about the, the road, the signs that we encounter while driving on the road that is a, a really good metaphor for our journey with God. You know, when you think about the road signs, some of them are informational, some warn us, some invite us, some direct us. They have a variety of, of reasons for being there, but they're all significant. Because without road signs, it'd be like anarchy on the road. Without road signs, uh, it'd be chaos, and, and driving would be even more dangerous than it can be now. We need those road signs, and we need to pay attention to the road signs. And I think they're in, in much the same way it's true about our journey with God. He gives us all kinds of, of road signs. Things from Scripture, the Holy Spirit's presence in us, relationships that we have with other people. God uses a variety of means to communicate with us, to help us. And the purpose of that is so that our journey is a means of joy. And that, that idea, joy in the journey, is sort of the motto that we're using throughout these next few months. Because over these next few months, we're going to be thinking about road signs and what they have to do, how they serve as metaphors for our walk with God. And that following them is not, is not something imposed upon us, but following them is actually a pathway, a means to experiencing the joy of Christ. And it seemed to me that the place to start was with the biblical person who arguably is called to be the most adventurous person with God in all of Scripture, and that's Abraham. When you read the beginning 
of Abraham's story here in chapter 12, God says, just begins, Abraham, go, leave. I want you to, 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 be, to go from where you are. He says, I'm, I leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. In order for Abraham to go, he has to let go of the place where he is and the things that are there. And so that means Abraham has to let go of people who are important to him. He has to let go of whatever positions he may hold in that country, whatever places of respect he has and people who know him. He has to let go of the place, this place that's so important that he may really identify with. He has to let go of his patterns. It may well be that his patterns are the most difficult thing for him. I wonder if they aren't the most difficult for us. When God, when we enter into a journey with God, and as the journey goes along, we are continually being asked to think differently about the patterns that we develop. Because most of our patterns are centered on, this is what I want to do. And God is continually calling us to what he wants us to do. Abraham leaves all of this, and God says, when you go, here's where I'm going to take you. And he maps it all out for him in explicit detail of how he's going to get there and where he's going to end up. No, he doesn't. He says, Abraham, let's go, and, and I'll, I'll show you where to go as we're moving along. When you get there, I'll tell you. And when we're traveling, I'll, I'll tell you when you need to know where to turn, where to go next. You just trust me. I mean, it, it would be enough of God to say to him, all right, leave everything that's comfortable and familiar and go, and here's exactly what's going to happen. It's a whole other thing for God to say to him, leave everything that's comfortable and familiar, and I'm not going to tell you where you're headed or what it's going to look like. Man, what a challenge. As one commentator says, the only thing that Abraham knows is that the place where he is is not to be the place he's to remain. He's supposed to go, move forward. That's why I think the most apropos road sign for Abraham's journey is the detour sign. I am convinced that if we're going to journey with God, we have to understand that we are going to, on a regular basis, come upon detour signs that God puts in our path. Now, I don't like detour signs. Every time I'm driving and I come to a detour, I think, ah, I don't want to go on a detour. Especially if it's at places where I've never been before. If we're on vacation and we're out driving and all of a sudden they say you've got to take a detour, it makes me feel anxious because I've never been to this place. It's totally unfamiliar. I have no idea where this is going to take me. And sometimes that's how we feel about God. We have no idea where the detour God is, is turning us on, where it's going to go and what it's going to mean. He says, trust me. When you journey with God, it's not like you can just set your GPS or put, your, put it on autopilot and just step back and just say, okay, we know everywhere we're going, we'll just do it. It doesn't work that way. It's following God wherever he leads us. If you, use a GPS, if you were to use a GPS with God, the one thing you would know for certain is you would continually hear from the voice coming at you, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Make a U-turn as soon as you can. Because the, it would be complete, God's way is completely different than the way that we planned. 
I have my plans that I want for how, what I want life to be. I have things that I think, okay, this, this is what I want to happen. This is how I want it to happen. And invariably, God keeps saying, I've got a little change in plans. We're going to detour this. And somehow I have to believe that God's detour is better than my plans. The thing about Abraham's journey is Abraham does not ask God to join him on his journey. God asks Abraham to join him on the journey. He says, Abraham, this is, it's, it's not as though Abraham has this map all planned out and he says, okay, God, will you bless me as I travel this way? No, God says, Abraham, forget your map. You come with me. You follow me. I think, it's, I think it's a theological struggle that we sometimes have. And it, we, it comes out, I think, even in our language about salvation. We often talk about salvation as we, we open our hearts to Jesus. And, and that's appropriate. That, that makes sense. But I'm afraid that we sort of get stuck in that language. and Because what, what, what that can mean is, okay, God, I've got my life. I want you to join me. What we ought to be saying is, to, to talk about salvation is not so much that we ask Jesus into our heart as it is, I surrender my life to you. I give myself to you. To follow, when Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, that doesn't mean that Jesus goes after them. It means they go after him. And that's the call of the gospel. That's the journey, is to follow him. He's the one leading. But the thing about that is, he, it's, it's a... It's a journey. Every detour is leading us into the deeper things of God. Every detour is leading, causing us to trust Him that much more. And the more we trust God, the closer we come to God, the closer we come to God, the more we experience the blessings of God, the fullness of God. I mean, think about the promises that God makes to Abraham here. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with descendants. I'm going to bless you that with land. I'm going to bless you with, with influence around the world. It's not just blessing for Abraham. It's, it's way beyond Abraham. So much bigger than Abraham. And I don't think Abraham has any real concept at that moment of what God is going to do. I mean, everything, everything he's saying here makes no sense because Abraham is 75 years old. Sarah's 65 years old. They are well past childbearing years, and God says, you're going to have descendants. That's why later on, Sarah laughs when God says that. It makes no sense. And then he says, you're going to inherit land. And Abraham knows enough about that culture that if you're not from the land, you can't inherit land. When he gets to Canaan, Abraham cannot own any land there. The only land Abraham owns is a cave that he bought so that it's a place for he and Sarah to be buried. And God said, I don't think Abraham has any idea of, of the way God's going to use him to bless the world. And yet, God, that's God's promise to him. Blessing beyond himself. When Abraham is sitting in Haran, his life is about Haran. 
And God says, I'm going to take you on not just one detour, but a whole bunch of detours that is going to enable you to be the father of nations. Think so much bigger and deeper and wider and fuller because that's the way God intended our lives to be. To flourish within ourselves and beyond ourselves. And that's his calling. Now that blessing doesn't mean that the detours aren't going to be difficult sometimes. In fact, history teaches us that more often than not, people who, who follow God down the detours of life end up facing more difficulties in this world than if they didn't take the detour. History is replete with people who come to a fork in the road, come to a place, and God says, all right, we're taking this road, and the easy road is to go straight, and the hard road is God's detour. The straight road is they'll leave you alone. God's detour is you may end up in, in facing lions or the flames or who knows what. And person after person says, it's worth it to take the detour. There are people who will tell us, if you follow God, life will be simple, life will be easy, life will be comfortable. God never promises that. He tells Abraham, he talks about it. He says in verse 3, he says, I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I mean, I had to make Abraham step back and say, wait, people are going to curse me? Wait a second, what is that about? That's what happens when you follow God. When you decide, when the disciples decided to follow Jesus, they were putting themselves in a position to be opposed. Because the evil one doesn't want us following God's detours. And he's going to do everything he can to keep us from following God's detours. And often we get on those roads and we think, Lord, this is a much rougher, bumpier, difficult road than I imagined. And he says, yeah, I know. Will you trust me on it anyway? And isn't this sort of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about taking the narrow road and the wide road? And we might say he's saying take, take the the, nat, the normal road or take the detour road. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it does mean that God is going to have our back the whole way. I don't know exactly what it means when God says to him, I will curse those who curse you. But at the very least, God is saying, I will be with you. I've got your back through this. You can trust me. You're going to face some difficult things but you can trust me. And God is saying to every one of us, if you will take my detours, if you'll walk in my way, you are going to face some difficult things. I don't, want to, I don't want to sugarcoat that for a moment, but I'll be with you. You can count on it. You can trust me. The thing is, we, will only, we only think that God's detours are good We'll only see God's detours as a means to joy if we truly believe God can be trusted. Is God good? Is God for us? Is putting our lives in God's hands the way to life abundant? Until we truly believe that, we're going to be very hesitant to take those detours. We're going to fight with God every time. 
because we're not quite sure God can be trusted. And that's why the scriptures keep telling us over and over and over again, God is good. God can be trusted. You can count on it. He's faithful. Over and over again. You can count on it. This is the heart of God. This is who he is. He loves us. He's for us. I have a friend who wrote a commentary on the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon, so, you know, it's one of those books, it's a little hard to figure out exactly what's going on there. But I, I think there are at least two purposes for that. One is for God to bless uh, the, the, the sexual relationship of a husband and wife and that that's a part of God's plan in creation. But I also think that it is a, it is a metaphor for God and his people. God in Israel, God in the church. I think it's a metaphor for that. And he said to me, he said, I heard him say, talk about the fact that one of the most amazing things about that he, that he discovered, surprised him, was that there are all these love songs all throughout the, the Song of Solomon where the bride and the groom are singing to each other. And he said what struck him as, as interesting was that the longest and, and most passionate of those love songs was not the bride for the groom, it was the groom for the bride. And that means that if this does truly represent, if it truly is a metaphor for God and his people, God and the church, then it's telling us that no matter how passionate we may be for God, God is far more passionate for us. No matter how much we express our love for God, God expresses even more his love for us. That's who he is. And that's why we can trust him. I think... I think we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. I wonder if that isn't why Abraham builds these two altars. You know, in verses 7 and 8, he talks about building two altars when he gets to the land of Canaan. And it's a place to worship God. It's also a place to remember the promise of God. It's almost as if Abraham is, is planting a flag in the, in the ground and saying, Okay, God, you made a promise to me, and I'm doing my best to follow it. And I need this altar to remind me of your promise. I need this altar to remind me of what you've done and who you are. I think that's the primary reason we worship God. It's not to tell God how awesome he is. It's to remind us of who God is. To remind us of what God has done. To remind us of what God has promised. To remind us that God is good and faithful. He's for us. And that the journey with him, however difficult it may seem at times, and the detours he leads us down, however troubling and, and difficult they may be at times, it's leading us to abundant life and joy in him. But we have short memories. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded in, in corporate worship. And even though we can't come together right now, we still are doing this so we can be reminded through music and words and prayers of who God is and the promises that God has made to us. And we do that on our own as we read Scripture and pray and, 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 and we follow the spiritual disciplines to remind us this is who God is. He's for us and He created us for flourishing. That's his intent for us. And he's bringing us to that. And we need that. Because the reality is, when we journey with God, it is a never-ending journey. 
We don't get to a place in life and say, okay, I've arrived, I'm finished, I'm good, thank you very much, I'm done. I don't really need God anymore. You got me here, that's all I need, I'm, I'm good. That's not how it works. The journey is ongoing. I, one of the things that I'd never really seen in this passage before, and I've read it many, many times, was verse 9. In verse 9, he says, Abraham has, has built the altars. Abraham has, has, has gotten to the land of Canaan. And then it says, Abraham continued traveling. Abraham kept moving. And that's the journey with Christ. We never arrive. One of the things that I think is most detrimental to the Israelites is that they get to the land of Canaan, they get to the land of blessing, the place they've been promised, the place that they've been yearning for. They get there, they, they establish themselves, they get settled, and they settle. They stop. And you read the book of Judges, and you see the chaos going on in Israel. Because they settled, they said, we've arrived, and we don't really need to have the same kind of relationship with God that we had in the desert. We're good. And not only did it destroy their relationship with God, they lost all that God was going to give them because they cut themselves off from Him. We never stop journeying, and we never get to the place where we no longer need to trust God because they're always detours down which God is taking us. Is that why? I think that's why Paul writes in, to the Philippians in chapter 3 and says, I've not yet arrived. I haven't achieved all these things. I haven't reached perfection. I press on. I keep moving. And if the Apostle Paul needs to say that, I know I need to say it. I suspect you do as well. We keep moving. And sometimes it's hard because it feels like we're not making the kind of progress. We just, we just want to get there. And what God wants is us to trust Him. A few weeks ago, I walked out of the house and I was going to take a walk and early in the morning. And I noticed a, a little slug on the middle of a driveway. I, I'm not a big slug fan. I don't like slugs. Uh, there's basically, you know, I think they're gross to me, and so I really wasn't going to pay any attention to the slug, except that I, all of a sudden I realized that the slug was going from one side of the driveway to the other, and I could see the residue of that slug's journey. It was about halfway across, and it so intrigued me that I took a picture of it because I thought to myself, you know, I might be able to use this in a sermon sometime, <laughs> and here it is. And, and, and you, can see, you can see the journey that this little guy has taken. If it were me, and I moved as slow as a slug, which my baseball coaches used to tell me that, but that's a whole other story, to go across the driveway, I'd be taking the straightest route possible, right? I'm a slug. I'm vulnerable to any number of things that are being smashed or whatever. But he doesn't. He's all over the place zigzagging, circling, you know, going backwards, sideways. And I, I've been thinking about that, and what struck me is sometimes it feels like this is, this is the, the pathway that God has led me on my life. 
I want to go straight to the destination. I want to get right to the end as quickly as I can. And God says, I have other plans for you than that. I'm willing to let you walk in what feels like a circle. I'm willing to even make it feel like sometimes we're going backwards and sideways. Because what's vitally important is not so much the destination as the journey. God has a destination, no doubt about that, and we trust Him for that destination. We're not just wandering aimlessly, but God is concerned about the journey because it's in the journey that we learn to trust Him. In the journey, we build relationship with Him. In the journey, we find the joy of life in Him, and that's what He wants for us. Not just to get to the destination, but to know Him and to be known by Him and to find life in Him, not someday, but today, now. And we trust Him. Even when the promises and the blessings of God seem impossible, even when the detours seem to make no sense, but we trust Him. I am fascinated by the fact that God's promise to Abraham is nothing but impossibilities. Children that he is unable to bear, land he's unable to possess, influence he's unable to comprehend. All of it is an impossibility. Except when God makes the promise. And Abraham follows him. Henry Clay Morrison was one of the great orators of the late 19th century and early 20th century. He was the president of Asbury College for a while. He was the founder and the, and the first president of Asbury Theological Seminary. And uh, he, was, he was a great preacher, and he, he was a very creative preacher. And I heard someone say that they, that they heard him preach one time about this story of Abraham. And they said, this is how he told the story. He said, Abraham heard this call from God about all the promises God had for him. And so the next morning, he got up, left his house, walked down the street, and went into the furniture shop. He went into the furniture shop, and he said to his friend, Jake, Jake, I want the best baby buggy you've got. And Jake says, really? All right. One of Miss Sarah's uh, servant girl's going to have a baby? He said, no, Jake. He said, listen, this, this is going to be hard for you. you this is going to stretch you a little bit, but it's for Miss Sarah. She's going to have a baby. And Jake says, um, Abe, um, maybe we need to talk a little bit. And he starts, you know, trying to talk to him about it, and Abe finally says to him, look, Jake, you want to sell a baby buggy or not? And Jake, being a good salesman, goes in the back, gets the most expensive one he has, brings it out, Abraham buys it, and he walks with that thing back down the street to his house. And Morrison says, he said, I suspect that day anybody who was home got a crick in their neck from leaning out their window and their door watching that crazy old man push that baby buggy down that street. And he got to his house, and he pushed it up the steps and into the door and into the family room, and he parked it right next to the fireplace. And for 25 years, that baby buggy 
was a conversation piece. Until it wasn't. And Abraham starts the journey in faith without knowing where he's going. And he's not perfect about following. In fact, some of his following is extremely imperfect. But the desire of his heart is to journey with God. And God, just as God calls Abraham and invites him on that journey, he's inviting you and me too. And no matter where we are on the journey, he's inviting us to a deeper journey, to more. You know, the song that Andrew sang a few moments ago, the group sang of Michael Carr, Joy in the Journey, sort of the, the theme song for this whole series. And I don't know if you caught the words of that chorus. It says, there is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life. And freedom for those who obey. You see, the question is not, as we face the detours... God's detours, will he be faithful? The question is, as we come face to face with God's detours, will we trust him? Father, give us a new vision of who you are. Thank you for the privilege of journeying with you and finding joy in it. Whatever steps of faith you're calling us to today, whatever detours you're leading us down, give us courage and grace to trust you. Amen.